This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Here at Food First Michigan, we think food is pretty important. I'm sure you do too. Several times a day, in fact. Women who are pregnant need a diet that supports their unborn baby. Babies need specialized food like formula that we've heard so much about in recent days. Kids need food to grow, learn, and become the best version of who they can be. Teenagers eat every day like it's the first time they've ever had food. Athletes eat even more. Adults need to eat the right food depending on their age, weight, family history, and seniors eat less, it seems, but need access to healthy food just like toddlers. Food is centric to life and growth. It is directly linked to development and potential. Food is necessary to being and becoming. Food is important, especially when you don't have it. Today on the show, you will hear three Michigan-based federal leaders who share our conviction about food. They, like Jerry and me, believe food is important and helping people who don't have enough of it is even more important. United States Representative Alyssa Slotkin, who has served our country in war and peace, joins the senior senator from Michigan and the chairwoman of one of the most important Senate committees the Agriculture Committee, Senator Debbie Stabenow, and finally, a longtime supporter, believer, and trusted friend of the Food Bank Network, United States Representative Debbie Dingell joins the show for the first time. Hear these leaders talk about food, food banks, and the work we do together on this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome, everyone. We're back. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with our guest, Representative Elisa Slotkin. So welcome. Thank you. We're almost neighbors. I guess yep. we really are neighbors. Yep. And um, so I think to start this segment off first, I'd really like to say thank you. Because I think every COVID relief bill you have had um, influence and leadership in. And, you know, we define a friend as someone who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. Sure. And you've certainly been well, walking in that. with thank us. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. That's kind. So, you know, now it's a new day. Yes. And uh, one of the things that we're really challenged with in the food insecurity world is supply chain. Yep. So, you know, I think everybody is, right? Yep. And so we're just wondering maybe some thoughts from, you know, some insider baseball on what, you, what you're what you seeing uh, from your chair in regard to supply chain and and yeah. what we can hope to see. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it was interesting because I think a lot of people who never thought about supply chains in their life started thinking about it during COVID, right? right. Most prominently when we couldn't get a 78 cent mask for our nurses <laughs> yeah, and healthcare right. workers. Right. Um, and I knew that was my kind of uh, awakening on supply chains, to be honest, um, as a former CIA officer, hadn't thought a lot about it. Right. And then I'm negotiating with a Chinese middleman in the middle of the night um, to get a 78 cent mask. 
mask. Wow. And actually, the way that we got a lot of masks in my district, particularly Sparrow Hospital, was we did a little bit of media about trying to negotiate with some Chinese companies um, and with some middlemen trying to help us. And uh, the, the Chinese food chain Panda Express, the owners saw the media and they said, if you can prove your hospitals in mid-Michigan are within 10 miles of a Panda Express, we will get you all the masks you need. So wow. just a little weird anecdotal story, but no. that, is, that is a broken system. That huh. was broken. Right. Right. So the the um, my family's in the food business. Right. right. We, we had high grade foods. We we did the ballpark Frank at Tiger Stadium. We, we were hot dog people. So I started to get my uncles writing to me in all caps like <laughs> we're going to run out of meat. The meat supply is going to be a problem. Americans will panic if they walk into a grocery store and they don't see protein. Right? right. And not because we don't have the meat, but because the processing facilities sure, were right, going down, right, you know, right, in the in right. the earlier part of COVID. Um, so I just kind of started getting um, super interested in supply chains um, and um, ran a defense task force looking at military supply chains, then really kind of awoke on our food supply chains. Right. And uh, a lot of farmers in Michigan and um, the amazing and lucky thing is that we can still feed ourselves in the United States. Yeah. Right. That yeah. is a gift that we cannot give away. Chinese, they depend on us for 30% of their food. Right. We, we, we never want to be dependent on another country for food. So it, it is, to me, I started thinking about how do we ensure that just instead of by accident we can still feed each other, that we have farm policy, food policy that thinks of food as a national security issue. Right. And um, that is how I, I view it. And um, what our farmers are going through right now is like everybody else. Inflation is killing people. Wow. And fertilizers three times the price that it was a year ago. And the inputs for all our farmers, not to mention the fact they can't get microchips to run their tractors. They can't yeah. buy a new tractor. Yeah. And, and they still have to worry about the weather. Right. I mean, you know, that doesn't go away, right? right. You're still kind of dealing with, right. well, the the regular ebb and flow of, of growing food and what it really takes and how smart you have to be. But I'll, I'll tell you what my hope is here, yeah. is that farmers are so smart. They know so much about how to do yeah. what it is they have to do. I mean, it's going to take a season but I'm absolutely hopeful and, and for good reason that, that we'll, we'll get through that, you know, that, but in the meantime, there's a lot to worry about and we care a lot about our growers and we know that there's a lot of challenges, but boy, are they yeah. good at what they do. Right. And they're, they're the masters of, of managing risk. Yeah. Right. Cause it's, yeah. the, it's not risk free. What they do is inherently take on risk because you're dealing with things you can't control. Right. And it is, um, but we, but I would say the last four or five years, it feels like we've given them a lot more instability <laughs> yeah. than they're used to dealing yeah. with. And I will say again, um, the way that global issues affect our local farmers, I'm watching Russia and Ukraine right yeah. now. Everybody's watching, yeah. you know, the wheat production out of Ukraine. Right. And we can't get the ships out of the ports with the, with this year's harvest and God bless these farmers in Ukraine. They're they're planting or they have planted in body armor and helmets. I can show you pictures that would just boggle wow. the mind. Active war zones. Wow. Um, but if we can't get the wheat out, then we're going to have inflated prices again a year from now. And then poorer countries are just not going to have the money to eat. 
and that's going to create instability. So, uh, you know, the, the, the small family farmer in Michigan is deeply tied to this global ecosystem um, in a way that's, um, that's, I think, undeniable after the last few years. Well, one of the sponsors for this show, Food First Michigan, of course, is the Michigan Farm Bureau and yep. the family of companies, including the insurance company. So, you know, we, Scott Piggott is on our board, the CEO at Michigan Farm Bureau, and he was, you know, he's keeping us abreast of what you're talking about, yeah. that fertilizer is three to four times as much. And, you know, this is not going to, like like inflation is probably not going to turn around in the next three to four months so we got to take a bit longer look here and and the difficulty for food banks is you know we have during the the height of the pandemic we increased our production distribution by 47 percent um and and built the infrastructure to do that as we were doing it and then now we would get you know then we would get up to 30 percent of all the food we distributed came from the usda and Jerry, we're down to what percentage eight. now? Eight. Eight percent now. Wow. So we're, you know, we're feeling it. And with with folks who have the mantra that there are two words that should never go together, children and hunger, right. we're a little concerned. Yeah. Right. And, right. And we've been hearing this from the food banks in our in our district of just. Um, the variety isn't there. Right. The supply isn't there. They're used to having just more on the shelves. They're more bare, um, right. and and it's the trickle down effect when prices are the are this high, right? You just and the budgets of the food banks go, you know, uh, they don't go as far. Right. I mean, all of those all of those things that are affecting the average family are affecting our food banks and. Um, uh, Meanwhile, I, I can I can understand with the price of food, while there there'd be more demand for food. Banks. There is our our food bank alone. The last couple months has been seeing a forty percent increase in the number of people coming, yeah. and so we're we're you know we were kind of cycling down for a while. Mm-hmm. Where you know the the height of the pandemic, there was seven and a half to eight million pounds of food a month that our food bank was doing with our partner network, and it was down to about three and a half. And now it's getting back up to four and a half, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're starting to see, and there's less food available, however you go about it, right? So it's, it's challenging times for sure. And I know, uh, I know we're talking to our network about it and trying to figure out how we work together again to, to continue to be there for the people that need us. Yeah. I think that there was a lot of interesting programs that we implemented during COVID Particularly, for instance, you know, with the SNAP benefits and having them go further at places like farmers markets, you know, trying to incentivize um, the sort of a win-win where you feed people, but you feed people on local produce that's being produced here. I, I think that it, you know, sometimes in a crisis you learn new tricks. Yeah. And I think it's important not to say, okay, COVID's over, let's chuck everything right. out that right. we learned and and um, instead try to adapt and, and use some of those skills we've acquired. I think we've learned a lot during COVID for sure. You know, Oof. I think we figured out our ceiling was much higher. Yeah. I mean, to increase your distribution by 47% yeah. in the middle of the crisis, speaks greatly to these seven Feeding America food banks that, of course, serve all of Michigan's 83 counties. So, you know, I'm pretty proud to represent them and and the work that they do. And we're proud that you represent us and you're in the place of influence and leadership. Uh, You know, we we want we'd like to have you come back when you're in district 
and, and sit down with us for a full show because one of the things we really want to learn is, you know, why do you want to do this work? Because, but I, I think I already know the answer to yeah. that. Happy to, happy you, to. I mean, you know, as someone in particular, I, you know, we have a family farm in Holly um, and family in the food business and the district I'm, that's been redrawn is much more rural, a lot more farmers. I, I think um, if I do my job and, and win my race, I almost certainly will try to get on the, the ag committee. We have no Michigan House member on the ag committee wow. on the house side we have senator stabenow who's of right. course the the on the senate side the big boss but no one coming up in the house so happy to talk about it it's just an issue i've become passionate about because i think it really is the nexus of sort of hyper local you know rural issues with big picture national security issues great She's Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin from right now, Michigan's eight. That's right. Um, and you can find her at Rep Slotkin on Twitter, and I'm sure all over social media. I'm kind of a Twitter hound, so <laughs> it's great to follow you. And again, thank you for your leadership and for standing in the gap. Thanks for having me. Okay. Jerry and I are back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. As promised, United States Senator Debbie Stabenow and our friend, colleague, and we define friend as someone who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. <laughs> but there are a few friends that have been in the room and have stayed in the room, and you, my friend, is, are that are that friend. Well, so thank, thank you. you. Thank it's, you. It's great to be with you. You are a wonderful partner uh, in Michigan, and, uh, on, and all of your uh, Food Bank Network is just phenomenal. The volunteers, the staff, everybody helping us get through COVID. And on top of that, the rock star of the Michigan Farm Bill field uh, hearing. So. Uh -huh. <laughs> Yo, you're kind. It was an honor, and, and it, it was a privilege for sure. And we wanted to get the message out, you know, that, that there are families that are in need of, uh, of intervention. SNAP is one of the yes. best possible interventions. And then here come the food banks to help support um, those families as well. And I think my experience in that, yeah. Time of my life uh, showed how both can can work together and we can move towards solving. So, Jerry, I know you got questions <laughs> for the senator, and uh, and you, so jump right in. You know, I think we should probably cover what is a field hearing and, and yes. how does that yes. work. You know, because it's a lot of work to do this it, job that you it have. It's a lot of work, and uh, yeah. and I think people don't necessarily know what it is. So, right. give us a little right. picture into how does that process work. Well. Every five years, we write what we call the Farm Bill, which is really a, a misnomer because it's so much more than that. It's how do we support farmers and ranchers? How do we make sure we have enough of food support? How do we make sure that all parts of the food economy is supported? Um, for a long time, fruits and vegetables weren't included in the Farm Bill, and this was something that I championed for years and years and years. Uh, half of what we grow is fruits and vegetables, and they didn't get support through the Farm Bill, so now they do. Um, how do we make sure we've got urban agriculture? How do we make sure we've got farmers markets? How do we make sure we've mm. got um, you know, every kind of food and agricultural support? And then the largest investment in land and water conservation that our country makes is actually through this thing we call the Farm Bill. Yeah. So every five years we rewrite it. It's due to be rewritten next year. 
as chair of the committee uh, for the last uh, few uh, cycles as we've written farm bills, I've had a kickoff where we do uh, a field hearing in Michigan where we invite folks in who represent all parts of things, the farmers, the folks working on conservation, the folks working on food security and so on, to come and testify what, what's worked, what would you like to see happen and so on. And then my ranking Republican, the lead Republican, and I go to his state, which is Arkansas, which we're going to be doing in, in the next few weeks, and hear from Arkansas, which is a very different state, grow different things, they grow rice, right. you know, we don't have rice, we don't have cotton, we don't grow some of the same things, so we hear from them. So, But it, there's a lot of work. Michigan State University is where I like to hold us for us, because they are the premier land-grant university in the country, sure. and... Um, but we invite folks to come in and listen, and then we had two different panels. We actually had 16 different witnesses, and yeah. we, we went all all morning on through lunch hour listening to everybody. But it gives us a lot of good information. And, of course, that's the game, right? It's it's not just dictating. It's listening. It's totally. understanding. It's deepening and broadening totally. our awareness totally. of what do we have to do for for people right. to make this whole system work. And, you know, it's it, it all gets sort of taken for granted, right? Yep. And and the headlines talk about the problems, but they don't necessarily get into all this wonderful work that's happening behind the scenes no that question. drives success, right? But yep. that is driving success. And you were just telling us about a couple successes you saw coming down the pipe here, and we're absolutely yes. interested in that. Yes, yes. And first, you know, before mentioning that, let me just say that a lot of wonderful successes in Michigan I've now been able to put into the nationwide farm bill. Double Up Bucks started right. as a grant. Kellogg Foundation, others working with Fair Food Network and others sure. to say, you know, it costs more to buy fruits and vegetables, but we know they're healthier. So how do we help folks on SNAP be able to purchase those things? And we right. started with farmers markets and so on. That really worked well. And then now we're going into grocery stores. And so, but now it's nationwide. Same thing with one of the things that um, at Senior Farmers Markets Nutrition Program, Michigan was a leader in that. Today we're announcing more dollars to go into that program, $50 million more today right. nationwide. Wow. And also what I, you know, the, the um, produce prescription program, which actually started in Flint, Michigan after the, the mm -hmm. water crisis, the lead right. crisis. And Dr. Mona yeah. was giving kids a prescription to go down to the farmer's market right by the clinic and get fresh fruits and vegetables to help them with their exposure to lead. And the kids were getting this prescription from the doctor, so they were taking it seriously, and it worked. And so now, today, we're announcing another $40 million on this program, which I got into the Farm Bill, started in Michigan. Right. And so, um, and then the other thing is, we have too many communities where we don't have a grocery store. We can right. talk about what needs to happen, but food deserts, areas, um, certainly for years I've worked to support efforts in northern Flint when the water crisis happened. There was not a grocery store right. in North Flint. Uh, we've seen this in Detroit and Pontiac and Saginaw and Grand Rapids and Mesquite. You can go all around the state. Right. And so we put together something called a healthy food financing initiative to help finance grocery stores in um, in areas that didn't have them. And so we're adding another $155 million to that program today. I love it because anything that shortens our lines, we're absolutely for. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. uh, they, to get people out of the food bank lines and help them 
be able to uh, have access to food that they need and want. Yes. Uh, you know, because we know if they want it, they're going to what? They're going to eat it. That's right. <laughs> and so all That's the right. consumption is, is, is super important. Uh, you know, and I love the healthy Jerry and Gleaners have been, uh, you know, a oh, trailblazer huge. in that with Henry Ford. And um, and then we at the Food Bank Council, we we developed um, uh, a fresh food pharmacy in uh, Battle Creek. Yes. with Our South Michigan Food Bank, where we we put the pharmacy inside the FQHC. Fantastic. So when they get the counseling for the the types of food they would help their medicine work for diabetes, heart, whatever it might be, they actually go home with the food. Which is fantastic. So, yeah. you know, I, I have to give a shout out to Dr. Opal on our team and to the South Michigan Food Bank as well. So, you know, we're trying to put this, make this come alive. And, and of course, Mona, Dr. Mona is a uh, alumni of this show as well. And, uh, yeah. Amazing. So much creativity. And, of course, another part of SNAP is called SNAP Education. And that right. goes to, we can all talk about healthy foods and so on, but that involves cooking in a different way, right? Yeah. I mean, instead of all of us running through the fast food place, which I've done more than my fear. Sure. <laughs> I'm trying, you know, during COVID, I started like, cooking more and getting a crock pot and, you know, right. you know all this. And so doing more of that. And so, but I talked, I've talked to this wonderful woman who's been working um, privately to how to get more crock pots and, and education available so that right. people can um, not only have all these new healthy ingredients, but um, be able to know how to put it together, you know, to make right. a chili or a soup or do, do whatever. And um, so there's a lot of pieces to support people to have um, both the food and, uh, and the knowledge and support they need. And aren't you guys uh, the largest distributor of Cooking Matters? <laughs> Outside of Cooking Matters the, itself, yeah. Which I love. So, yeah, yes. well, Cooking Matters has been great. And, and it's, a, it's a partnership we actually do a lot with health systems. So, you know, it's integrating all of us together who have a vested interest in this, right? I mean, it, it really does take a community. Um, and uh, and yes. there's so many people that want to see these problems solved. And, and so we're, we're encouraged by that. And absolutely encouraged by the work you continue to do in this space. I mean, you it, you know, we talked about supply chains uh, uh, earlier and some of the challenges there. Um, and, and we know that the, the, the issues that we have to face aren't just going to stop, right? There, and there will be new ones that come along. But the more of us that are working together to move this forward, the more we can be resilient. And, and yes. I think that's, yes. you know, the Farm Bill provides resiliency, I mean, I think it's one of the biggest things about the Farm yeah. Bill, how it looks yeah. at the yeah. whole system and makes sure that it's stable and working and, and that it, people can afford to work in it and can afford to have a farm. I mean, if it weren't for the Farm Bill, I don't know where we would be. Right. And, you know, we, we actually have challenges that we have seen happen after COVID and, and sort of the global supply chain shutting down and, and um, food prices going up the grocery store and stuff. One of the things I've been worried about for a long time, which is now showing itself, is we've got consolidation in a lot of the processing uh -huh. industry. So we have 
four big meat processing companies in the United States. Two are actually foreign-owned. And, um, and now we're seeing um, a situation where the prices are going up for meat. There's not enough competition with them. And so we're, through the USDA, I've been working with them to get grants and loans for small meat processing operations or awesome. regional ones so we can have more competition. Because yeah. when you talk about resiliency, yeah. we, we don't have enough competition in the in the food industry it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger less competition and guess what they can raise prices and you can't do anything about it right and so so part of this we have supply chain problems and breakdowns and then we've just got too much consolidation and so we're working on that even in the baby formula area where we've seen you know serious um, emergency happen we only have about four companies again that make baby formula and so we need more to support more more smaller regional operations as right. well. It, it's a, it's an investment in those local economies. Yes, right. It's very where important. people are working and and yes. and able yes. to find good paying jobs, and that's all part of the fabric of the farm bill. You know, it's it's called the farm bill, but those two words just don't give they it don't. enough weight, do they? <laughs> Not at all. And it's really it's our whole economic plan for rural America, but we've also expanded it to urban America. And you right. know, Eastern Market in Detroit has been one of my major major projects early on when I first chaired the committee back right. in 2011. Detroit was focusing on, you know, how to really move forward. And I said, you've got this gem in the Eastern market and you've got all these folks that are coming in and selling produce and selling products. Let's leverage that. So we brought in a lot of investment, including business incubators where now the folks selling produce can actually rent space to make a product. And now yeah. we're seeing people yeah. who have gained enough customers at Eastern market that they can go out now and get their own brick and mortar business, which is the next step, and expand and expand. We're all here for this purpose. Right. And thank you to everybody listening who's doing their part, because um, uh, this is pretty fundamental, the ability to uh, to eat and feed your children and to have children go to school and not be hungry and have seniors right. uh, be able to have the food they need. This is pretty basic stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we should all be working well, together. Well, me, you, and, Al and, uh, and Maslow sure believe that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to have you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, thanks for trusting us to do this work with you. And we'll stay at it together. Jerry and I are back in just a moment. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here, Jerry Brisson, and our very special guest, Representative Debbie Dingle. So, you know, there's a little bit of a theme going on here in our recording of the show here at the uh, policy conference. And we define friendship as someone who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. But there's a few friends that have always been in the room and they've stayed. And when it comes to food insecurity, you have always been in the room. And we want to say thank you. Oh, thank you. But I'm not. I'm just there to support you. You guys are the ones. You know, I think the pandemic has made far harder times for people than many people realize. But I've been involved with uh, both of your organizations for decades. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I used to be at the GM Foundation, or if, quite frankly, even just as a Catholic girl, the nuns taught me the importance of it. And you are 
you are the ones that make it happen. We're just there to support you, to be the soldiers in your army. You're the generals. And I thank you for what you do every single day because I think people don't know how many people go hungry some days. The mothers that are working two jobs and still don't know how they're going to put food on the table. People who have gotten sick. People whose job insecurity because of the pandemic. And you're there through the thick and thins of life. Well, certainly that's one of the, I mean, what you just said and how touching and heartfelt it is, is is part of the reason why we've worked with you all these years. I mean, and I know you're in touch with the people in your district who are going through a hard time and, and it, it's really personal for you. It always has been something that, you know, it's on your face. And of course, you don't really get to see that in the radio, which is good for us, but that's a, that's a different issue. I mean, but, but you can see how much it means to you to make a difference for people and, and especially people who are struggling more than others. And, uh, and so we really do appreciate that. And you've done a lot of work in a lot of different ways to not just bring attention, but bring attention and resources and the capacity to make a difference. And I mean, if we're going to solve for food insecurity for the long term, it's it's a it's something you have to keep at, right? You've got to keep working at it and learning more and 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 having a deeper and broader understanding. And I know the things you're working on right now to help the community are part of doing that. And and I mean, it would be great for you to talk about some of those things. So, I mean, there's so many different issues connected to all of this when we talk about it right now. We could, it, there's going to be greater need, quite frankly, because of inflation and uh, food is more expensive in the stores. Uh, we, I don't, I probably shouldn't say this, but um, I'm very worried now about the war in Ukraine and how much of the wheat supply is grown in Ukraine and what's going to happen to uh, the food supply in the world uh, over the course of the next few months and years. And all of us are talking about that, both what the global impact's going to be and what's the impact going to be here and how do we address it and how do we help those farmers still plant their and, and, and have a market, an export market, how do we get it, get it out of Ukraine is something that we're very much talking about right now. Uh, I have a meeting with the White House uh, shortly when I leave you talking about inflation again and what we're going to do about, it's both one of the reasons that we are seeing increased costs is the supply chain and uh, the pandemic has very much hit our supply chain and our reliance on other countries how do we move it back here so I'm one of the people that's got a number of bills that would bring our supply chain back to this country but you know just in the human side of this I mean those are the technical things we really do have to work you know um, I was at an after-school program that had started back up and um, you know, people are being, there's not enough childcare. There's just another huge crisis. But there was a little boy who just looked so sad and so tired. And I said, I bet you just can't wait to go home and have dinner with your parents. And he said to me, we don't eat dinner at home. Hmm. And I think people really don't realize um, that that's happening in too many homes. And, you know, when the pandemic began, one of the very first things that uh, a number of us worried about is that the only meals children get is the school program. And when we close schools, how are we going to make sure that 
those kids still had access to food were getting their right. breakfast and their lunch. And so the schools stepped, you know, we put the money into the program to make sure those school lunch programs are going to be available. And, you know, you all helped and did a lot of work there then too, but went to, I mean, we went to the schools to help and they were passing out the food. There's so many different aspects of this that um, we have to work to. Well, and where you're sitting, you get to you get to touch them all, one way or the other. You get to have some, you know. Again, there's so many things that come your way. It's just crazy. How do you stay on top of it all? But, but I will say we learned a lot during the pandemic about working with families, and that a lot of times, if you can give families the food to have at home, they will make sure their kids get lunch. They will make sure their kids are are well fed. And 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 so we need we need to continue that, right? Continue to work with families. And I and I know that some of the flexibilities that we had during the pandemic are going away, and we're trying to change that because those flexibilities really allowed us to do some new and better and actually cheaper things. You know, we we could provide uh, groceries to a family at almost half the cost of what a prepared meal is, and, and the families wanted it. They, they, they were able to prepare the foods their kids wanted and liked, and, and, and you know, we, we, that was a really important learning. So I know we, you know, we just keep... We uh, just keep I'm, I'm chuckling, and because it's funny, but, you know, it's, it's trying to help everybody understand, you know, both sides of the aisle, general public, all of it. The reason parents don't feed children is because they don't have the food. Right. <laughs> so when you give them the food, guess what happens? Yeah. They, their, their family gets fed. So the waivers that you guys sent down and how those waivers get applied once they get to the state level is vitally important as well because, as Jerry said, that gave us the opportunity to have flexibility to do a grocery model, uh, which was highly effective. Um, and then some of that adjustment has gone away in recent days and so we really love the the waivers and we want to see them applied in the broadest use possible well i think you need to help talk to people about that and even when we have past policy issues it's it's fairly frustrating to me and quite frankly even american recovery dollars now that are starting to go away and the infrastructure dollars we are passing policies and sending the money but then this state legislature has to approve it and right. has not moved some of the dollars which I find extremely um, frustrating and we have to make sure that we're doing it at the state and the local level and right. that's why I think it's so important federal state and local levels of government work together to help address this need and, and, and to me this is just a human issue I mean you know we, God taught us all that we need to feed the hungry, take care of the sick, you know, it's that's it's just something very basic that we all. Well, I, I say it sometimes like, you know, when you look at the three major religions, three of the major religions, then you were all commended to do this, right? It, you know, so, okay, well, there's that. And then there's, you know, the fact that what kind of culture, society do we really want to live in? You know, and I don't want to live in one, and you don't either, that discards. We want to live in a culture that uplifts. And i that's why I say you, you stand in the gap. You've been in the room your whole career. Uh, you know. But you guys are the ones that are in. You know, I've done it. I, I just try to support you. You all are the generals. And it does change. You are correct. The challenges change each day and every day. And 
And I, what I worry about is that there is so much need, more need right now than there has been. And, and we right. just have to, we, we have to grow and adapt. And, and how do you change the models? And um, Yeah, how do we become highly effective in this and take advantage to all the programming that's available and create greater alignment between state government and charitable food system in the community. We just had Lou Rubel here from uh, the D Department of Health and Human Services. I love his title. It's the Deputy Director of Opportunity. It's a good title. <laughs> we all have lots of opportunity to make a difference. That's, that's right, with our one handful of life. And so I would be remiss if I did not pass greetings on to you from Eileen Spring oh, at Food Gatherers. Gatherers is my... Yeah. Well, I've always loved Gleaners, you know, I've lived <laughs> in Wayne County, and Gleaners has been where I've done my volunteer work, et cetera, but food gatherers, Washington County's in my district, and they make such a difference, and I've yeah. worked with them in so many different ways, again, as I, um, over the years, and now I'm moving to Washington, so it's even... Well, thank you for being with us. We'd, we'd like to have you on for a full show, so we can really unpack some of these opportunities well, we will to address soon. the challenges, so in the meantime, thank you for investing you're one handful of life. She's Congresswoman Debbie Dingle, and she's our friend. Thank you for having me. Thank you for all you do. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry, it's great to be on the island with these three national leaders who care about our work. It sure is, and great to talk to all of them at a time when we've got some pretty significant challenges coming up, and each of them is going to play a critical role in the coming months as we deal with all of the changes and, um, oh, how do we say, the new farm bill and other things that are, that are going to be important to us. So we're looking forward to their support and even more support as we look at the months ahead. Well, Jerry, time for a little food for thought here. We're thankful for the Michigan-based national leaders who understand the importance of our work and support us and help us to keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.